Well, let's turn back in our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter, we were in chapter 16, and we're finishing that chapter up and going into 17, if we have time tonight, and we finally, after being in 1 Samuel a number of months, were introduced to a young shepherd boy named David, finally had his name at the very end of the narrative there. Up until then, even Samuel didn't know who it was going to be. Of course, we, we've been raised on this story. We knew it was going to be David. Um, but if you'd never read that before, you're not told till the very end. And again, the bigger picture here, the first uh, king of Israel, chosen by the people, really demanded by the people, but also chosen by the people. Now, of course, God in his sovereign control was in charge of all of that, but from the ground level, the people chose this king, and he was handsome, he was strong, and all these things, and we followed. He did some good things, but in the end, he was found very much wanting. He was found to be, King Saul was found to be one that ultimately did not have a heart for God. He was not submitted to God. He was more interested in his own way, and if his way and God's way kind of coincided, then great. Um, but he felt like he had the option of changing God's commands whenever he thought best and maybe even ignoring or just not paying close enough attention, not making, giving God glory, that idea of not giving God the weight, the honor that he deserves. Um, Saul did not do that. And so, first of all, he lost um, when he offered up the sacrifice before Samuel got there, he lost the opportunity for his sons, the generations after him, to have a dynasty. And then when he did not, the special mission that God sent him to do, that was wipe out the Amalekites, the ancient enemy of Israel, really their first nation, or enemy as a nation. Uh, he didn't do all that God told him to do. He came up with his own version of obedience, and Samuel said, that's not obedience, Saul. And because you will not... Uh, make God king of your life. Really, Saul had himself on the throne rather than God. God has, since you've rejected God as king, God has rejected you as king. And Samuel mourned over that. He grieved, as we all should when we see people um, destroyed and in sin and making wrong choices. We should be grieved with that. But there was a point where God said, okay, Samuel, it's time to move on. I've got another king. I've got uh, th this, this may seem devastating news to you and so bring in, in a dark time, but I've got another man ready. And this man will have a heart for obedience to me. So he goes to Bethlehem and God doesn't tell him until the very end. He gets to uh, Jesse and his sons. And even Samuel himself needs the same reminder that the people of Israel did. Samuel, it's not the most handsome, tallest guy, the, the oldest son. No, that's not who it's going to be. That didn't work out so well for King Saul, did it? And we're reminded of that very important principle that man sees the outside appearance um, man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. I think of that song, Patch the Pirate song, God Sees the Heart, and it's so applicable. And folks, we need to remember that. Uh, we get ourselves into trouble many times where we think that we know what's going on in someone else's heart or mind. Now, 
don't misunderstand me. Um, it, we are told in God's word that by their fruits, we shall know them. There is a certain aspect where we're watching people's lives and it's by their fruit that we can um, assess whether they're believers or not. James talks about this, um, that uh, faith without works is dead. There is a certain level where we look at someone's life and we can assess whether they're walking with the Lord or they have a relationship with God or, or whether they don't. And that is acceptable. And that helps us to disciple people on that level. But there is a level that we'll never know. And that's the one that uh, the Lord addresses with Samuel here. Not just the outward appearance, Samuel. Everybody, this people may look really, really good on the outside. The Pharisees, right, looked really good on the outside. And they were whited sepulchers as Jesus so descriptively described them or uh, talked about them. So we have to be careful of this when looking at others. Yes, we can assess, but ultimately we don't know whether that person truly has a relationship with the Lord. That's between them and God. And we can encourage them if we're concerned, but only God knows the heart. So that keeps us from going a step too far. I know even uh, certain pastoral leadership ministries where the pastor was very insightful and he really seemed to understand people well, different leaders, but at the same time, they would go too far in um, kind of trying to figure out for themselves what was going on in that person's heart. And they kind of stepped farther than they should have and um, put people into boxes and labeled them in such a ways that really that were not helpful. So just a balance there, but a very important principle that Samuel was reminded of. And so Samuel gets to the end of these men and says, well, none of them are the right one. God hasn't said yet that any of these, he's, and so the next logical thing, well, Jesse, are these all your sons? I asked for all your sons. Well, there is the little guy out shepherding in the field, but he's busy shepherding. And Samuel says, well, we're not going to eat until you get him here. And of course, when you have a whole line of men here that are hungry, that's very effective. And they quickly brought David back. And God said, this is the one. He did say that he had probably um, red hair, a handsome appearance. And the Lord says, anoint him for this is he. And the spirit of the Lord rushes upon David. And so Samuel rose up, went back home. So at the same time, though, now we're at verse 14, the spirit rushes on this young man, David, and at the same time departs from the king. And a very sobering statement here, right in verse 14, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. He rushes on David and he quickly leaves Saul. And even just that, uh, folks, is sobering for us as an assessment of the rest of the life of Saul. Saul has lost access to God's presence. So he's going to have to now depend upon the spiritual guidance of others around him, or he's going to be at the mercy of his own wits and devices. Now, that's what Saul preferred anyway, right? He, he, he's most comfortable doing things his way. But that's actually very sobering. Folks, here's a Important statement. It's a sobering matter when God leaves us to our own way. It's one of his most effective ways of judging us is when he just says, you so 
clearly and so passionately want your own way instead of my way. So I'm going to give you your own way. And you can find out how damaging and how devastating that is to depart from my way and go your own way. And Saul, for the rest of his life, is going to see, um, well, if he had eyes to see, he'd be able to see um, the damage that it does to his life and his family around him. But he he no more has the presence of God in his life to give him guidance. He's depending upon others. And, but as well, as so, sobering as that is, God's presence is no longer with Saul. And that also, by the way, makes him very dangerous. That's another important point as we continue. Saul will now become more and more dangerous because he's operating in his own thinking and his own wits rather than God's direction. But also it's disturbing what the second part of this verse says, and an evil or harmful spirit from the Lord troubled him. Now, this is, this is one of those strange accounts, and I think somebody mentioned this um, after, oh, sometime after last Wednesday's um, Bible study, that there were some strange things in the life of David that they, they didn't fully understand, and we're going to get into those. This is one of those, and there's going to be some other things in the account of David's life, things that are going on with Saul that just kind of make us scratch our head here. How can this be? This is one of those. What is this spirit? that God places upon Saul. Um, You could describe this as a harmful spirit of terror, but I'll get back to that in just a minute. An evil spirit, according to the King James, and and I don't know if some other translations use the word evil. Um, Could this be really a demonic spirit that God calls into the life of Saul? Well, The first, the the overarching principle on that is that, remember, God is the sovereign Lord over all hosts and all powers. He's called the Lord of hosts. That means he's in sovereign control of everything. And remember, even Satan himself, we see this in the book of Job, has to go to God and get permission before he can act. So God is in control even over Satan's minions, we'll put it that way, demonic spirits. Um, And... It is conceivable that he could command an evil demon spirit to plague Saul because he's sovereign Lord over everything. But I think that probably, if we think of it that way, it kind of troubles us, doesn't it? That whole picture. Has anybody, I'm just curious, throw this out here because this is a debated passage and people kind of wonder about this. Have you heard uh, any description or any explanation about what this might be? I think I also bring in what scripture tells us about God, where he's not tempted with, it's a different little area, but he's not tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. So it helps me to understand how God has interacted with us, how he may interact with us. So when I try to understand, well, is it truly going against what he's explicitly said about himself? Well, I would say no, he's not doing that. So it's something other than that. Yeah. Um, Yep, that, that's an important principle to, to balance this out with. Always, when, when you have, and that's important throughout, really, the whole narrative, whether it's Saul or David, there's going to be some things that come up, and we have to remember the character of God. We had to do that when we came to the words, the description of God repenting, as if he did something wrong and he needed to repent of that. Well, we know that doesn't fit God's character. 
So there must be another explanation. And of course there was, and we went through that. Yeah, Rick. I'm not sure I can explain what the, what the harmful spirit is, but it does seem to, to as, as we know the story, God obviously sent this to him so that David would be able to come and play his heart for Saul and that would put David in a better standing for what God has for him in the future. Yeah. That seems to me to be, well, maybe the full reason why the harmful spirit was there. Yeah. And that's a good balance because whatever this is, and I'm not going to take the, the route that it's a, it's a demonic spirit, but I'll explain more in a minute. It is balanced by the fact that God uses it to show his grace to Saul even in the midst of, of this <coughs> judgment upon Saul. Yeah, uh, the simplest Tom. explanation is, is the best. And God allowed Job uh, to be tested, and God allowed Saul to be tested. I don't think there's any conflict whatsoever at all. God allowed that to happen. He didn't, he didn't uh, tempt him. He allowed him to be tested, but to trials. Okay. Yeah, Rob. How many of us, when either we're in sin or rebelling, really receive the Spirit of God with joy? Or is it not an offense to us? And even the, you think of Saul as not that spiritual. So how attuned is he in with, oh, I'm being convicted. That, that's a wonderful thing versus, oh, I'm being convicted again. Oh, it, it's troubling to him. Yeah. So it's, it's not received well. But it's just a constant reminder of, are you doing my will? Yeah. Yes. And I, I think there's, that's part of the answer and what Rob just said. Yeah, Barb? Um, I've got a commentary here, Pastor. It makes, makes kind of a really interesting. It says, um, <clears throat> Satan could not exist unless God allowed him to exist. And the very fact that God allows him to exist means that he must be serving a purpose for God. Otherwise, there would be no reason of having Satan around at all. Um, it says he's serving the purpose of God in order. Well, it just talks about testing, but it, it really focuses on Satan is serving God's purpose. Mm -hmm. that's, certainly <laughs> well, that, that's certainly true, too. Bill? Kind of fits in with what Rick was saying. My commentary speaks of this evil disturbance resulting in a mental disturbance, which mm. was what Saul dealt with mm -hmm. David ministered to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I want to touch on that and carefully uh, because we're touching on psychology and psychological matters. Um, I have to be careful, but I think there is a, a psychological aspect to this. Yeah, Kurt? I thought. I have a note here that it's an attitude. And if we look further, the playing of music says caused him to be well. Mm. Music affects emotions, attitude. Yeah. So um, I think that speaks that it is perhaps uh, an emotional response that music influenced, and he was better. Mm. Yeah. There certainly was an emotional aspect to this that the music soothed. 
Tori, yeah, go ahead. I'm not saying that it's all of it, because I know it says that God sent the Spirit, but I know there's a verse that says the wicked have no rest or no peace. And so I think some of it could be that natural response of Saul knew he was not in the will of God. Um, I'm pretty sure. And so I think there is that natural, you don't have that peace because you know, I'm not really doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So, you know, there's going to be some sort of consequence coming. Mm -hmm. No, that's good too. Yeah. Rob. Another thought if, uh, so Esau, his birthright was given up. And so how often may he have said, I wish I had that back. Mm. And Saul, the spirit of the Lord departed from him and how it may have, Nod at him that I wish I had that back. And an aspect that that's just the natural, as Tori mentioned, the natural consequence that mm -hmm. is now plaguing. Yeah. And that's a question I've been asking myself actually in this, and, and I'm continuing to ask myself as we go along here. Did did Saul notice that the spirit had gone from him? Is this a situation like Samson? The spirit was gone, Samson didn't even realize it. Um, because Saul had so little concern for the things of God. Uh, I don't know that we can ever answer that, but I, I think it's a possibility. Um, yeah, Tom? Well, I was thinking First Thessalonians, the Spirit lets or he holds back the forces of evil while the Holy Spirit is here. Now that we know that, um, if, if God removes his spirit from, from Saul, then... You know, you're left with his own devices and his own spirit, which is troubled. But, you know, the Lord knows that without the restraining power of the Holy Spirit, Saul's going to be troubled. We're all troubled. Mm -hmm. We don't have that. There's always an element of uh, dissatisfaction, pain, anguish, um, you know, attitude, behavior, a lot of that, uh, because they don't have the Holy Spirit. Or in this case, Saul didn't have the Holy Spirit who was restraining or holding back the forces of evil. So I think it's, you know, it's. Yeah. And um, yeah, like I said, he's sovereign and he can do whatever he wants. And this is a judgment. This is a judgment. We have to, we have to um, realize or be honest with, with the facts here, though. And it does the author makes it a point to specifically describe this as something that the Lord um, initiates upon Saul. And in fact, there's language used here that really is not used anywhere else in scripture. So this is, in other words, the whole thing points to a unique circumstance here um, of the Lord sending this. But I think there's a, a explanation here that really fits best um, with all of it really it kind of fits most of, of what you all said. Uh, Hudson, can you go get me a bottle of water here real quick? I would greatly appreciate that. Let's, let's look back at that word evil, evil spirit. So the, my question is, yes, God and his sovereignty, it is conceivable that he could command a demon spirit to plague Saul. But does God need to use the minions of the devil when he has his own messengers and beings, angels, to serve him? Does he even need to use that? And my, uh, my sense of this is, with what I know of God's character and everything, my answer to that is no. 
I don't think God, God is certainly able to accomplish his purposes. Now, he does accomplish his purposes through Satan and through the demons. But to say this directly that God, almost the idea of tells a demon to go um, plague Saul in some way, I'm not really satisfied with, with, that, descript, with that explanation. And let me tell you why. The Hebrew word evil is a broad term that can include many other meanings than moral evil, such as the idea of being troubled or harmful. Some, um, some translations use the word harmful rather than evil spirit. Um, if it does mean evil specifically, it can also be referenced to bad things that happen apart from the moral sphere. Job had evil come against him, but it was in the form of what we call acts of God, right? Nature and things that um, were, were bad things, but we wouldn't say they're, they're moral, they, but the Bible refers to them as, as evil. Um, so I think it's more in a general use here with the idea of something sent to trouble or to or to really uh, there's a word there that says let me look at this word here in the king james it says um oh that the lord troubled him or tormented him really the idea could be terrorized a harmful spirit of terror i think is the best way to translate this and so here's with that in mind Here's a scenario that I think is most accurate in this. And again, there's a lot, there's some mystery involved with all this, uh, but I think this is most accurate. God sent some sort of angelic being, not a demon being, but some sort of angelic being from the heavenly hosts to cause Saul to cause him fear or terror, that emotion, or to agitate his spirit to terror as he did with many of the enemy armies. You remember, we just had recent descriptions, right, of the Philistines. God personally um, entering their situation and causing them to panic and causing them to fear. That is an example that God has already done recently in our narrative. I think the best, what makes the best sense is God is causing something to agitate Saul's spirit to terror. And the purpose of that would be, Saul, you've chosen your own way. I've rejected you. And now you're going to live with the fear and the terror of what it's like to live life without God. You're going to feel that in an intense way. But then God is going, it's going to offer, it's going to allow a situation, an opportunity for someone that is filled with the spirit to come in and, as Kurt said, play music that is um, being produced, that is that it has the Spirit's influence in it, to help soothe that fear in a way that only the ministry of the Spirit can. And David, who has just been anointed king, will um, provide soothing for the one that's been rejected as king. That, to me, makes the most sense out of what we have here. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Pastor. Yes. It reminds me of King Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. He was very troubled for a little while there. And then it it brought him it brought his pride down and, and everything. 
hanging out in the field like a beast. I mean, that was very, that was like a troubled spirit. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a, a, a extreme example of that, but yeah. yeah. There there are examples of God humbling men through extreme circumstances, and this is certainly one of those. Although I don't know that Saul ever really truly humbled himself. And here's the next question. I don't want to get too distracted by this, but it is one that we need to keep in the back of our minds as we continue to hear about Saul, even as David comes to the forefront. Did Saul really have a relationship with God in the end? The end summary um, assessment of his life, did he even have a real relationship with God? I think that still remains to be seen. I do have an answer for that. It's an opinion, but we're not even close to, to talking, to getting there yet. So, all right, let's continue on with that in mind. That's, that was good um, interaction and good thoughts. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold now, an evil or a harmful spirit from the Lord torments thee. Let our Lord now command thy servants, which are before thee, to seek out a man who is cunning. That almost has the idea of trickery or something, somebody that, that's cunning with, with uh, war implements or you know business or whatever. But really, that has the idea in the Hebrew of skillful, a skillful person a skillful player on a harp, or technically this is a lyre, and it shall come to pass when the evil, the harmful spirit from God is upon thee, that it shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. Well, how did Saul's servants, notice how Saul is totally dependent on others for spiritual solutions now. He has no ability in and of himself. And really, we're going to see that the rest of his life, too. And I think I mentioned that earlier. He is totally dependent even on his servants to offer a spiritual solution to his problem. Even a spiritual recognition. Mm -hmm. In verse 15, it was his servants that told Saul, hey, there's an evil spirit from God that troubles you. Yeah. So as they're looking, you know, standing, recognizing that. Yes. Not Saul himself. Yes, exactly. And I almost wonder, I don't know this or not, but how did they know? Did God somehow reveal this to them in some sort of way? We just don't know. But they're obviously, even his servants are more spiritually attuned than the king is because God has departed from him. So seek out a skillful player and a liar. Now, um, I have a picture of a couple examples of a liar that I'm going to pass around. And I also has the map. I don't know if we're going to get to this tonight. But the map of the battle that we're about to describe, where we meet a really big guy against a shepherd boy, but we won't get into that yet. But the map's here as well. So I'm just going to pass this around, starting with Tori. Just two examples of what a liar, David's harp here, what it would have looked like. Um, obviously, David was skillful in playing it. I don't know if it's the type of thing that his mother made him when he was four or five years old, practice every day on his lyre but he obviously uh, was very skillful at it. God uses this man who is um, talented. He's given him this talent for music. David is obviously a, a musician. God's given him a talent, but it's something that he had to work at, something that he had to spend time becoming good at because it says there that he's skilled. And so here's this general principle then that does ring true that music has a power to soothe. 
of course, this would then uh, also um, represent the fact that this music had to be a type of soothing music that would, would bring calmness and peace. David didn't come in with a drum set and uh, where they didn't have electric guitars back then or whatever and start playing some rock song or whatever. Obviously, that wouldn't help soothe Saul at all. Um, his harp was soothing and because of his skillful playing, but even more importantly, because he had the spirit of God in his life. Well, all this sounds good to Saul. And verse 17, Saul said unto his servants, well, provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. Saul decides, that, that's, that sounds like a really good idea. Um, he's interested. He inquires further about this. And so they go ahead and they look. Um, lost my place here. Oh, verse 18. Then it just happens, right? Just happens that one of the servants knows of a man who's a skillful music musician or lyre player, harp player. And so he tells the king. He just happens to be there in the presence of the king. And he says, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, the one from Bethlehem, that is skillful in playing, and a mighty, valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in matters, has the idea of he's skillful in his speech. He's very prudent in what he says. And a comely person. And to throw on top of all that, he has a good presence. He's handsome. And the most important thing out of all those, right? The Lord is with him. Now, here's this unknown servant providing this insight now into David's character that we have not seen up to this point. We've been introduced to David. We don't know much about him, just that he's a humble shepherd boy. Now we're finding out a whole lot about his character, right? And let's go into each of those in detail. Well, first of all, he is a skilled musician. He has practiced. He knows how to do this. This is something that he's worked at. God has given him talent, but I'm sure, like we said before, it was something that he worked at over time and he's very good at it. Doesn't that play into then, as God gave him this gift of uh, being able to play music, that he would write the psalms, and he would compose music, most likely, for the psalms as well. Um, and he would be the worship leader, eventually, for the kingdom of Israel. All of this God had gifted him to do, and it was recognized early on in his life. He is a skilled musician. But not only that, it says here, a mighty, valiant man. This really describes and says he's a very brave person. He has courage. Remember another young man recently that has a lot of courage that we talked about? Jonathan, right? And Jonathan and David are going to have a lot of corresponding positive character traits. We're going to see that here soon. But just like Jonathan, he has courage. He's brave. And it also says here then, He's a man of war. This just says he's a skillful warrior. So not only is he a musician, but he's also a soldier, and he's good at both, which is pretty <clears throat> remarkable. Um, I don't, Kurt, you can somewhat relate to that, right, with your testimony that you were in the military, but you also played in the band. Mm -hmm. Isn't that it? Yeah, so. You were the Fighting 39th Army Band. Yeah, the Fighting 39th. <laughs> See, you can do both. And, and David, David does both well here. Um, not only that, but it says he's prudent in matters. Really, this has the focus on the fact that he's a skilled communicator. 
He's handsome in appearance, but then most importantly, above all these other really great characteristics, the Lord is with him. The spirit of the Lord, the spirit of the Holy Spirit of God is with this individual. Now, folks, you look at that resume compared to Saul's resume, the one the people picked. Tall and handsome. Let's go. The one that God picked. Right? All of these things. Skilled musician. Brave. Probably a lot more courage than, than King Saul ends up having. He's a warrior, just like Saul. Probably even better than Saul. He's also very careful with his communication. He is good looking. That helps. But most importantly, the Lord is now with him. God picks the best kings, right? And he knows what's best for our lives. So be careful to demand something. And God tells you no or not right now. Sometimes he just says, wait, be willing to wait. Because remember, folks, one of the most serious sobering things that can happen to you is that you can press God and he gives you your own way because you demanded it, and he lets you see what life will be like under his judgment. God's judgment can simply be, I'll let you have your own way for a while. You don't want to go there. You trust God and follow his way. It's always best. So continue on here, but this here in this little capsule gives us the character of David. I'd say we're in good stead for the future here in these upcoming uh, narratives. Wherefore, Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me David, thy son. I've looked at his resume. He's got a really good resume. And I know he's also a shepherd. He's with the sheep. Can you spare him? Well, he doesn't really ask. He says, just send me. (laughs) And as the king, he's allowed to do that. Just, I need your son, David. So work out something with the shepherding arrangements because he's coming to the, it probably wasn't a palace at that point, but wherever Saul lived. Was your hand up, Rick? Yeah. Where do you think they servant came up with the idea that he was a valiant man, man of war because he hadn't fought right yet. The only thing that he'd done is killed the lion and the bear, but nobody else knew about that as far as I know until David disclosed that. But where did these servants, where did that servant come up with that? I'm still working through that and, and I'm not sure that I have all of, all of the answer to that. He obviously... Maybe he saw some of the same spirit in David as Jonathan. But there's a number of details here that when we get to the next narrative, don't add up. In this narrative, Saul is so happy with what David is doing and how David is helping him that it says, getting ahead here, but he found favor in his sight and he makes him his armor bearer. And then in the next narrative... We find out toward the end that it almost sounds like Saul doesn't know much about David at all. I think there's some reasons for that. But what, what that tells me is this, this story may overlap some of those other things. That, that seems to me the best scenario where David has already proven in some way that he's a valiant man and a man of war. Um, we're, not, we're not given this as an exact timeline where this part of the narrative in, in, in this with David helping Saul has to come right before David and Goliath. It could have been all kind of together in a sense. Otherwise, 
I, I'm not really sure. We're not really told. So God doesn't record 100% of all history in yeah. God's word. But what he did say was there was a man that testified that he was valiant. So it may not have been recorded in scripture, the specific battle or whether somebody saw, you know, the, the lion and the bear and even David didn't speak, <coughs> but they knew of it. Um, yeah. That we just don't have everything, but God shared with us what he wanted. Yeah, it could be. I mean, I could look at Robbie and say, there is a courageous, bold young man. And yet we haven't fought in any wars or anything yet, have you? And, uh, yeah, probably your mom would, appre would appreciate it if you didn't. <laughs> um, that, that could be part of it too. We just don't know. So, but just some possibilities to help alleviate the curious side of us. So Jesse, obviously he's not going to disobey the king. Verse 20, and Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a bottle or a skin. Remember, they don't have bottles yet. This is a wine skin, skin of wine and a kid, not a child, but a young goat. That's a young goat described there and sent them by David, his son, unto Saul. This would either be as a gift for the king or some of this could have been looks like David's going to be there for a while. So let's give him some provisions. At this point in Israel's history, Saul wouldn't have had a palace. They don't even have a capital city yet, right? So Saul would have been in some sort of, of home arrangement, but don't think of it as a palace and don't think of him as having the facility yet to be able to provide for everybody who serves under him. They're not to that level yet. So David most likely had to bring his own lunch or something of that nature, his own food. And David came to Saul and stood before him. This has the idea of entered into his service. David, the one who has just been anointed king, is going to faithfully and cheerfully serve the one that one day he'll replace. And he doesn't have any problem with that. There's no fighting in, in the spirit of, of disagreement with David at all. He's ready to serve. And he loved him. Saul loved him greatly. And he became his armor bearer. So Saul is so appreciative of David's character he just has great affection for him almost immediately. Another signal as to the character of David. And he immediately makes him his armor bearer, one that, you know, that, that holds the armor in battle and takes, I don't know if you could kind of say it's kind of like a caddy at the golf course. That's probably kind of a watered down version, but you kind of get the idea, right? He holds his armor, he takes care of it. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, let David, I pray thee, stand before me or remain in my service. For he hath found favor in my sight. Saul is thrilled with David's character and David's help. Why? Because verse 23, And it came to pass when the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul that David took a harp or a lyre, as you saw in that picture there, and played with his hand. And so Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Do things on this. Yes, there is a principle here about the power that God has placed into music. And we shouldn't deny that, okay? Those that say that music has no moral effect or has no real power, I can just listen to whatever I want. It doesn't affect me. Um, that, that's just, that's not biblical, but that also doesn't um, play out in, in even the nature of music. You're really denying the very nature of music itself. It is powerful. It does affect us. And it affected Saul in a miraculous way. So that principle is here 
But there's two other things that go along with that that are even more important we need to emphasize. Number one, God could have given Saul a, a, a tormenting terror spirit or whatever that didn't respond to music. And it was God's grace that he allowed that to happen. So remember God's grace in all of this. God uses this as a vehicle to show his grace, even with we may get all caught up on why would God send the spirit of terror on Saul? But you can also say to show his grace to Saul, to give him opportunity through David's playing. And another thing as well is that even though David is skillful in playing, the ultimate reason this is effective is because he's filled with the spirit. That's most important. So don't lose sight of that. He is under the power of the Spirit, and that is why this music is effective for Saul. But David is faithful to serve loyally the very king he will one day replace, and he's not in a hurry to take. He's waiting for God's timing, and we see a lot of great character lessons about David's life that's just like a breath of fresh air already, right? After all that we went through with King Saul and the disappointment, it's like immediately God says, but ah, I've got somebody much better, somebody who has a heart for my things. So as we go to God's or to prayer tonight, remember these things. Let's have a heart for God. And as we pray, a spirit of expectancy, of submission to his things and go before him boldly.